0: Nearing the end, the Mishnah mentioned that uh, one is permitted to be in seclusion if there are two men and one woman. Rav Yudah Ma'Rav uh, made one limitation on this, that the men have to be Kesherim, not if they're Pedusim. And now he's going to give a second limitation on this on the law of the Mishnah. That uh, the rule that you're allowed to have two men and one woman together is only in the city, but if they're traveling on the road, then you need three men. Why? Because one of them may have to go to the bathroom or go on off and, you know, into the field on the side of the road, and then if you have only two men, then there be, will be left only one man and one woman, and that will be chud. So therefore, you need at least three people so that if one needs to go, um, there'll still be two and one left. It seems that we can bring a proof from this again from Masichet Sota, where it says that if a man uh, makes his wife a sota in his local um, city, then he and his wife have to go up to Jerusalem to complete the ceremony, and the local betin has to give them has to provide two tamedah chamim to accompany them on the way. So you have two tamedah plus the husband himself. And they go that's three, so otherwise, if two and one was enough, then you could just have the husband himself, and one other person would be sufficient right generally, a man and a woman a married couple um it is no yichud for a married couple, even when she's she's a nida, but here she's a sota, so they're not allowed to be together um until they complete the sota ceremony and she's found innocent um so um there are they are like uh uh erva, like people that are Prohibited to each other. So you see that you need three all together, and that way, if one has to go, there'll still be two left. Isn't that a good proof? Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because it could be the reason we need two is so that there would be witnesses. In case there is a, he does sin, there'll be witnesses to that fact. Now, that statement, those two statements were just said in the name of Rav Yehuda in the name of second generation, Amora in the name of his teacher, Rav. So now Rav and Rav Yehuda, the, the teacher and student, they're walking on the way. And in front of them there was a certain woman. So Rav said to Rav, Rav Yehuda, pick up your feet in front of Gehinam. In other words, we don't want to be uh, in close proximity to this woman. That's Sichud. That's, that's and uh, we want—we don't want to avoid any problems that could lead to gaining So let's pick up your feet. Let's pick up the pace and and uh, and overpass her and go uh, and be uh, be far away from her. So Rav says, hold Rav says, hold on. But master, you're the one that said that if you have kishirim, then it's okay. The first—that was the first limitation that we saw at the end of the previous stuff. And so, me and you, Rav and Rav Yehuda, wouldn't you assume that they are Kishirim? What do you think? They're promiscuous people? They're not. Um, so, isn't it okay? So, we have each other. And so, it's not, uh, uh, this is not, uh, Yehud. And I've said, well, you think keshirim means like you and me? Well, oh, we're just, uh, so so. What do you mean that someone who's really Kishirim, like Rabbi Hanina bar Papi and his colleagues they were known to be very very pious that's the level you need And even me and you don't. So where does that leave us? I'm assuming that most people today are not at the level of Rav and Rabbi Huda. So what does this mean for the law of the Mishnah? Uh, There's two ways to understand it. Rambam takes the story literally and says, yes, in fact, even if someone is as righteous as Rabbi and Rav not good enough. You have to be as pious in Kishirim as Bichanina. Since that doesn't apply to pretty much anyone, uh, therefore Rambam says one woman is not allowed to be even with uh, many men, even two or more. Uh, is not permitted. You need to have, uh, you know, a, a married couple there, or three and three, or more. Um, that's Rambam. However, uh, mostly Shonim say that Rav and Rav Yehuda were acting in Midat Chassidut. From the letter of the law, they are Kishirim, and therefore, they could have uh, stayed in close proximity to this woman, and they would have uh, been uh, been made sure that with each other, that they had no problem. Um, But as Midat Hasidut they didn't want to become near, and so they went the extra mile, literally, they went the extra mile ahead, in order not to be in any close proximity at all. Amar Rav, Malkin al-Yichud al-Yichud. Rav says, if someone is in, in, in Yichud, then they deserve lashes for violating this law. However, we will not prohib- prohibit a, a, a woman to her husband if she has Yichud. Let's say he's a Kohen. Uh, so we're not going to say, well, if you had Yichud, then you must have sinned, you can't be with your husband. No. Even though one gets Malkud for the act of Yichud itself, but um, we don't prohibit uh, her to kohen. Uh, and Rav said, when do we um, give lashes to someone who had yichud? Only if the, if she is single. Um, but if a, ma- if a ma- woman is married, we do not, because uh, we don't want any people. To, we don't want to start rumors about their children. If you, if um, a woman who's married with children. Goes and has yichud, and we give her lashes. Um, even though we're giving her lashes only just for the yichud, we're not claiming that she, that she actually sinned. But people will see and say, "Oh, did you hear? She got lashes for she got lashes." And they're not going to know that's only for yichud. They're going to think that she got lashes because she actually sinned, and she committed adultery. And therefore, they're going to say, "Well, her children are they really hers? Are they mamzerim?" And so we don't want to uh, give the, or leave open the possibility of starting such rumors and therefore lashes would only be given to a single woman mozuutra malkeo mahriz said i have a way to get out the problem get, get around this problem he would give lashes to um, someone even that uh, who was uh, with, even to a married woman and uh, and the guy who was with the married woman and he would announce listen this, uh, this this slashes is not for adultery. It's only for Yichud, right? Nothing wrong with the kids. That's what he would announce so everybody would know. So Rav Nachman uh, from Parahatia said to Rav Asher, Rav Asher is the one that says we don't, uh, give lashes in the case where she's married. So he says, why don't you do the same thing? He tells it of Asher and, uh, whip, whip, whip them, but give make an announcement. This is because you know what happens. People hear about the lashes, but they don't hear about the announcement. They completely forget about that. This makes the news. Oh, did you hear this one? This person gave lashes. And so they're only going to think, know that and not hear the announcement. And then they're going to assume that this person committed adultery. And then they're going to say that the kids are mamzerim. Rav says that a betin can uh, give lashes to someone on some bad rumor, right? Even if it's not technically one of the things above, they hear some bad rumors, give him lashes, make sure he stops uh, this uh, behavior. Um, as it says, this is regarding Eili to his sons, um, his sons did all kinds of terrible things. And so Eili rebuked them and says, uh, do stop doing that, my sons, I hear a bad report. So not that he had absolute proof or brought to Bettine, but he hears bad reports. They're credible reports um, of what they're doing to the to, to the woman that came to bring sacrifices. And so he said, stop doing that. So therefore, Rav says it's appropriate to uh, reproach and punish people for such reports. He heard some negative reports about uh, someone. He would take a bridle of a donkey. This is a shame punishment, right? You take this uh, donkey's uh, uh, thing that you normally put on an animal, and you put it on the person, like you're acting like an animal, and uh, give him lashes and said, Stop doing that. I'm hearing bad reports about you, and hopefully uh, that will stop it. There are some limitations on Yehud. If a woman's husband is in town, then we don't worry about Yehud because he's there. And so he may come home. He may enter wherever she is at any moment. And therefore, um, we, uh, therefore, she's not going to sin. Also, if you have a man and a woman in some house, but the door is open... Uh, to the to to the public thoroughfare, then you don't have to worry about Yichud, because people will may come in or out at any time, and so people the the couple and the people inside, uh, the man and woman inside, are not going to sin because they're afraid that they'll be caught. So Rabbevai, he went and was staying at the home of Rav Yosef. After he ate his uh, dinner, um, the host uh, Rav Yosef told, said, "Take away the ladder from under Bevai." Uh, Bevai was, uh, was sleeping on the upper story, in the like in the attic, whereas the rest of the family, he and his wife, were downstairs. And so, after he went up, they said, "Take away the ladder, so he can't come back down, and th- therefore will not have Yehud with his wife." Uh, now we ask. Wait a second. Rav Yosef was home. Even if he was going out to uh, to, to buy something, uh, to go to Bet Midrash, whatever, still he's in town, so it would not be a problem of Yichud. You have in the house. You have uh, Rav Yosef's wife's in the house, but the husband is in town, so it should be okay. Why do they have to take away the ladder? The Yosef is different because he was friends. With Rav Yosef's wife, uh, for whatever reason, they had, uh, they, uh, they maybe they were friends from before, and so he, she, they were familiar. She was familiar with them. and so if there's familiarity there, and therefore a uh, more reason that they may come to sin, then it's better to be extra careful. And even though he's in town uh Still not be in yichud. Rav Kahana, anashim b'chutz v'nashim, amar Rav Kahana, anashim b'chutz v'nashim b'bfnim, en chosheshim mishum yichud, anashim b'bfnim v'nashim b'chutz, chosheshim mishum yichud. Rav Kahana, Also, you have uh, two rooms: an inner room and an outer room. The inner room has no exit except through the outer room, and so um you can have men and women uh in each room. Um, uh, so if you have the men on the out, in the outside room and the women in the inside room, there's no problem of Yichud. because, uh, the, the men are not going to go into the women's room. If they do, someone will see us and says, why are you going into the women's room? There's no reason to go into the inner room. If you need to leave, you could just leave. Um, and so there's no problem of Yichud there. But the other way around, if the men are in the inner room, then we're afraid that the, one of the men in the inner room are going to say, okay, see you later. I'm going to leave. Well, he has to leave through the, uh, through the outer room where the women are. But then he's just gonna, instead of not, instead of leaving, he's gonna stay there and sit with the women, and that will be Yehud, one man with many, with many women. And so that will be a problem. Um, so that, so if you're gonna, if you have two rooms and you're having some kind of a party or whatever, so make sure that the, uh, men are in the outer room and the women are in the inner room. But uh, there's a that teaches the opposite. Uh, according to this, if the men are in the outside room and the women are in the inside room, then we're afraid that one of the men may sneak out of the men's area and go into the woman's area without being noticed, into the inner room. And so that's a problem. However, the other way around, if the men are in the uh inside room then uh, and, they're, and they're and they want to go out we're not afraid that they're going to stay in the outside room with the woman because at any moment any man can come in or out and see him there He says what are you doing here get out of here and so this is similar to the so the husband in the in town as long or the open open door as long as people are going in and out that is not uh, Yehud. so that's the opposite um, logic of Rav Kahana. Since we have Rav Kahana saying don't do it this way and the Baita said don't do it the opposite way, we're going to be machmir in both cases and therefore um, not have the men inside or women on the inside room, um, but rather have uh, just separate rooms with separate um, exits. And so, apropos to that, when uh, there were men and women uh, in the same area, he would put pitchers in between so that nobody could cross. If they try to cross, then they'll knock over a pitcher, and then that'll make noise. Um, uh, Rava would put uh, rows of reeds as a mechitza. And uh, Abin said the worst time of the time that you have to be most careful is during the holiday. During the holiday, lots of people come, men and women, and they come all come to Beth Knesset, or they all come to uh, a joyous uh, lunch or, or a party, and then you have a lot of uh, mixing, and so one has to be very careful, especially on the holidays. Now we have a series of stories about Um, uh, the uh, even great rabbis who uh, were tested. So there were some captive women who were redeemed. And uh, in the meantime, uh, they couldn't get home that day. Uh, On the way, they had to stop in Nehardea, And they were brought to the house of Rav Amram, the Hasid, to stay there overnight. Ishkulu darga Mikamaihu. So they move the ladder in fr- before them. In other words, these captive women, they went onto. They slept on the second floor of Rav Amram's house. Rav Amram would sleep on the first floor, and they removed the ladder so that uh, uh, Rav Amram and uh, none of the men that were on the first floor would be able to climb up. And that way, there, that way, there wouldn't be any problem of yichud. However, uh, sometime in the night, um, uh, one of them was passing by some kind of skylight. And Rav Amram caught a glimpse, right? A little like a, a shadow or a, a, a silhouette of one one of the women uh, was seen from below. Amram And Rav Amram, he got became overcome with with his uh, with desire. He grabbed a ladder, this ladder that ten, took ten men and even ten men could not lift it; it was so heavy. Um, he lifted it on his own, and he became, He started climbing up the ladder uh, to go um, up to uh, up to the woman's uh, section. He was halfway up, and he stopped himself. He straightened his his, his legs and rema uh, and he started shouting, Nura be Amram! There's a fire in Rav Amram's house!" Um, there was, well, there was not a literary, literal fire in his house, but there was a a figurative uh, fire in his, uh, in his body. And so in order, he knew that he, for a split second, he was able to control himself and uh, come to his senses, but he knew that in another second, he might be overcome with desire again. And so he took the opportunity at that moment to call for help, literally, and by saying, fire, fire, then people would run in. And the other rabbis, in fact, did run, uh, run to his house. And they said, you have embarrassed us. Uh, first of all, you embarrassed yourself. Right, look at you, this great rabbi called the Hasib, and now you're, you're halfway up the ladder to sin with a woman, and you represent the rabbis, and people are gonna say, look, look at what, all the, all the rabbis, look how they act. And so you caused us embarrassment. And Rav says, better that you be ashamed in Rav Amram's house in this world, and not be ashamed of him in the world to come, right? I'd rather be ashamed caused the shame to myself look until today we're still talking about this story about of amram uh, but in fact this doesn't uh, show his degradation but his uh, his has uh, high quality that even though for that moment he was um, overcome with desire he's able to stay himself and call for help and so he'd rather have this embarrassing tale told about him um, rather than in the world to come. So he took an oath that the Yesara should leave him, right? Because now you see he was able to overcome him, overcome it. So he said, Yesara, get out of here. And it did leave and its image was a pillar of fire. And he said, Abraham said to the look, I'm only flesh, um, and you are fire, yet I am, I can overcome you. So you see, um, uh, I think the story is, uh, showing the importance of, of the laws of Yichud. A person, even someone great like Rav Amram Hasidah should not say, oh, I'm uh, above sin. I won't have a problem. I could, uh, be in, uh, uh, in, uh, in close proximity in ichud uh, with the woman, and uh, I'll have no problem. No, no, no one, no one can be above suspicion, and therefore, I mean, in this case, they did take measures and uh, they removed the ladder. And even so, you see how Rav Amram only at the last minute was able to save himself. And now, other sages, Rav he would make fun of sinners. He said, oh, "Look at those people that sin. I'm above it." And one day, Satan appeared to him as a woman. Satan could take forms and uh, was on the other side of a river. There was no ferry, but there was this little uh, rickety rope bridge. And Rav Amram grabbed hold and was crossing over the river in order to uh, run after and uh, sin with uh, that, what he thought was a woman. And when he got to half, uh, halfway across the bridge, the Yesahara left him alone. It you know, turned back and said, and revealed itself to be not a real woman, but the Yisarehah. And it says, if not. That in heaven they proclaimed about you, uh, be careful about Abimeir and his Torah. Uh, in other words, don't don't uh, 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 make him sin. Um, they I would have treated your life like two cents, like nothing, right? So your Torah saved you. Uh, up in heaven they said, you know, we don't want Abimeir to fall. But the Yesarah is teaching him a lesson. No one should say, "I'm above suspicion." That I'm, I, I I I would never sin. It wouldn't happen to me. Even the this, the the uh, the great Nabi Meir, um, you see how he could be overcome by desire, and was only saved at the last minute. Even Rebiyah Akiva, we're going up in generation. Rebiyah Meir was a student of Rebiyah Akiva. So we're saying like, look, even more and more. Rebiyah Akiva, the greatest gadol hador. He too would ridicule transgressors. Haha, look at those people that can't control themselves. That would never happen to me. I can overcome my passion. And one day, Yesara appeared as a woman on top of a palm tree. Vekasalik veazeli. Grabbed hold of the palm tree and started climbing up. He have Kimetale once Rabbi Akiba got halfway up, the Rabbi, the yesara released him. Amar e Lab Damach, and the yesara Now you know uh, turned back into whatever other form, uh, revealed himself not to be a real woman, and said, um, if not, that in heaven they decreed, they decreed, be careful of Rabbi Akiba and his Torah, right? Don't mess with him. Uh, well, mess with them a little bit, but not well, not a lot. Um, at least you know, don't don't uh, let him actually sin. I would have considered your life two sins. I would have uh, let you go all the way up and sin, and and uh, brought upon you punishment. So he's just teaching him a lesson, right? Don't say this again, and um, and think that any uh, that you are above suspicion. Uh, he's only mentioned a few, a, a few times, but is, he is mentioned in halachic uh, context uh, with other Tanaim. And so he used to say every day, an arrow in the eye of Satan, meaning, I have overcome Satan, I don't feel any temptation to sin, I'm, uh, I'm a perfect person. Again, you know, don't open your mouth to Satan. So, no one should ever um, be haughty in this way. So, Palimo is also going to learn his lesson. It was Kipur, when everybody eats their seudat mafseket. This time, the yesara took on the form of a poor person that may be even more dangerous than, uh, than taking on the form of a woman. So, while everybody's inside eating the, the last meal before the fast, This poor person comes and knocks on the door and they give him a piece of bread. Right. So that seems like a very nice thing to do. They don't just shut the door and say, don't, o- don't open it. Nobody home. Oh, they give a piece of bread. So the beggar, yes, a beggar, uh, says on a day like today, right? Everybody is inside and I should be outside, right? He's like looking into the door. He sees everybody, the whole family and around the table with a beautiful spread and having a nice time. And I should be outside. Uh, So they said, okay, fine. They said, come in. And they gave him some bread in the house. They put him on the side table and, you know, on the side of the room. And then the, the beggar said, right, who says beggars can't be choosers? This beggar is, uh, insistent. And he said, uh, a day like today, everybody is at the table and I am by myself, right? Everybody's, uh, so, you know, they're, maybe they're, they're lying like, uh, like on, uh, like, a, on Pesach, right? Everybody's lying, uh, on their sides and have tables all around. And these on the, on the outskirts. Right, I should be all by myself, and everybody else at the table. At you, ataka. They said, "Okay, fine, fine. Now come, come and sit at the table with us." So now he's sitting and he's covered, uh, he's covered with boils and pus. And he's doing repulsive things. He's scratching and pinching and, and, uh, popping these boils and he's just being, being disgusting at the table and everybody's uh, trying to eat and enjoy their meal. Now this poor beggar, you know, he's obviously, he's not well and, uh, he, maybe he needs some, some medical attention. Maybe he needs a bath. Maybe um, uh, he needs someone to take care of him. But, you know, uh, you could understand the people at the table, they they want to have a nice meal. And now this beggar who insists on coming in and sitting at the table, and now is, is all doing these disgusting things. So, Amar le Tib Shapir, they said, sit properly. Stop. Uh, you know, this is a nice table. Be Be polite. Stop doing these gross things in front of us. So now the beggar says, uh, give me a cup. He sees everybody's drinking wine. All right, I want a cup too. So they give him a cup of wine. And so he starts coughing up phlegm and spitting it into the cup. Even more disgusting. And so they all get angry at him. All right, say, that's disgusting. Stop that. And they uh, they make him feel bad. umit. And he sank down, the beggar, and he died. Uh, so, uh, right, rather than seeing that he's in trouble, and he's sick, they, uh, they berate him, and, uh, he, he, he dies. And so now, the word gets out, and there's a rumor spreading, Pelimo has killed a man. Pelimo, katal gabra. Pelimo has killed someone. And so Pelimo all embarrassed, right? And so, you know, they're trying to have a proper meal, but they're not, And these are good people, Plimo and his family, you know, this is more than most people would do to give him bread and even invite him in, put him at the table, even give him a cup. And so they're, they're going uh, above and beyond the standard that most people would do. And nevertheless, you see, they're not proactive, not treating him like an actual brother. You know, if your own biological brother would come and he's down and out and he needs help and he looks sick and, you know, you'd come and you'd uh, uh, run over and give him anything he needs. But here, you know, they're thinking about their own, uh, perfect religiosity and piety, and they're sitting around a the table, they're doing everything right. And Pelimo says, Look, I'm perfect, Satan could never get me. And so they're not going above and beyond. And, uh, look, they let this poor guy die. So Pelimo feels, uh, very, uh, uh scared and remorseful and embarrassed. And he runs into the uh, outhouse. Bet Kise is not like a bathroom that we have, but an outhouse, uh, you know, a a disgusting, uh, smelly place. And so you see, like, the roles are reversed. Um, And now, instead of Pelimo being inside the nice house and the beggar outside... Now, Plimo is in the gross place, the Yesahara place, in the Betakise. Um, Azil Batre, and now the beggar, even though we thought he was dead, he manages to get himself up. He's Yesahara after all, not a real beggar. And so, and he goes and follows Plimo to the bathhouse, to the outhouse, and he falls again, and like dies again in front of him. Uh, Plimo can't get away from this terrible, uh uh figure. And then, then when Yesara saw that Plimo was very was suffering, was uh, uh was really uh upset, so he revealed himself to him and says, actually I am Yeserhara and just imagine the scene and by this time and you know, everybody's in in uh, Bet Knesset, and they're already say you know praying, saying Kal Nidre, thinking about the Kohen who's uh, in uh, in the Kodesh Kodashim, and he Pelimo who's so, so righteous, self righteous, you might say, um, is uh, in also in the inner of uh, inner uh, room. But this the, this one is the Bet Kise, and now the beggar falls in front of him, and so he's really suffering. And so Yesara says, it's actually me. This was a test. And he says, why did you say an arrow in the eye of Satan? Why would you tempt Satan and think that you're so great, so pious above any possibility of sin? Saying, uh, well, what should I say? I thought I was saying something good. I'm trying to be confident that I could go and overcome sin. How should I say it? Rather, you should say, may Hashem uh, uh, rebuke Satan. You should say as a prayer, Hashem should help me. Overcome Satan, right? And everybody need, needs help. No one should be so overconfident and self righteous that they that they think that oh, I have I'm above any suspicion. So here, this is the one uh, case in the series that's not about uh, temptation for a woman, uh, but uh, but rather here he appears as a beggar, and here you know he really um, uh, actually goes through uh, with uh, with the whole test, and uh, Pelimo uh, does not succeed in the test and learns his lesson uh, finally. Okay, one last story in the series. <laughs> he would, um, every day, uh, when he would say Tachanun, fall on his face to say, uh, to say Tachanun, he would include in his prayers, May the Merciful One, May Hashem save uh, me, from hara. Um okay, from yeserah, meaning a temptation for women. So you see that he's following the proper advice. That's what the that's what the hara said, right? You shouldn't say I, I would never sin. You should say Hashem should save me from sin. So one day his wife overheard him praying and heard him say this prayer, May Hashem save me from yeserah, and she was very uh, says, thought this was very curious. Because she said to herself, it's been many years uh, since he was with me. He's, he's, he's been, been separated from me. So his wife figures, I mean, of course, Rabbi Chaya is a great rabbi, and he knows that there's a mitzvah of ona, mitzvah to be with his wife every uh, on, on a regular basis. And he has not done that. He's separated himself from me. I thought, the wife says, that he just can't, uh, is, is too elderly and has no, no desire, has no passion, and that's why he's not with me. And now I hear him praying, right, Hashem, please save me from, uh, desire for woman. As if he's, like, he's being tested, he's overcome with desire that he has to, Go and pray for it. Then, well, then why is he separating from me? Right, as we're going to see, Rebi was acting in an ascetic way. Uh, there were lots of ascetics back then. The Dead Sea uh, sectarians were one of them, and many other groups that they would eschew all physical things, any you know luxurious food, uh, a drink, even you know nice clothes um, or, or relations with women. They would separate from women altogether. So Rebi uh, you see, is being overly, overly pious, even beyond the halacha, or even, you could say, against the halakha of Ona. So uh, his wife is, uh, you know, really curious about this, like, what's with my husband? Why is he praying like this uh, uh, if he has, hasn't has been with me in, for many years? So one day, uh, Rabbi Chaya was studying in the garden, and she got dressed up, you know, really, really nice, and she started walking past him uh, this way and that way. And, you know, he's deep in the studies, but he, um, you know, from the, from his peripheral vision, he sees, right, he sees her this way. And then, and then again, Amara, Manat. So, Rebich, says, who are you? Amara, he didn't recognize his own wife because she's all dressed up. Amara, Hana, Haruta, Dehadre, miyoma says, I am Haruta, a well-known Zona, and I just came today. Right, I'm here, here only today. Um, charuta might also mean chirut, like freedom, or loose, and, uh, you know, some, uh, or, or a name of a well-known, uh, zonah. Teba'ah, and Rbi Chiyah went, and he proposed, uh, to have relations with her. And, uh, this, uh, but this charuta, which is actually his wife, said, no, you have to get me that pomegranate from on top of the tree. And then, only then, I will be with you. Shevar azal atyeh nihale. And suddenly he leapt up, and you have to imagine this, you know, elderly rabbi who could barely uh, uh stand up, barely walk. He leaps up, and he climbs up the tree, and he brings it to her. And we can assume that then they had relations. Now, she, in the meantime, goes back into the house, changes back into regular clothes, and now he... Uh, comes home and in the meantime, his wife was lighting the fire to may, to cook something. So she's in the middle of lighting the fire. And he comes home and he goes straight into the oven. He just puts himself, they probably had some kind of big oven. And he, he just goes and sits right in the oven. The wife says, what are you doing? Why are you sitting in the oven? He says, this is what happened. I am so embarrassed. I deserve to die. Right? There was uh, this zonah in the garden. Pardon. I sinned with her right that's it just yeah, light the fire and you can cook me dinner literally cook me right uh, as dinner and now the wife reveals her, herself um, so this is how this is parallel to the ones before but instead of yes revealing itself here the wife wife herself says actually it was me you didn't sin you just slept with your wife which is totally good uh, and he did not pay attention to her. He didn't believe her until he brought, she brought the sign. She says, look here, here's the pomegranate that you got. Sounds like you dan Tamar, right? Here's, here's the sign. It was actually me. However, would not be pacified. He says, yeah, but I didn't know that, and I had in mind to sin. And so even though in, in reality... It was not actually an act of a sin, but I thought it was. So he was still, was, uh, he still was, uh, upset and remorseful. Uh, there's some versions that say he just stayed in the oven and died that way. Uh, but in this version, it said that this, uh, Sadiq would fast all the time until he died of that misery. So he could not overcome. And so this, this story is a kind of a counter to the previous stories. The previous stories was, is, were that someone, no way nobody, nobody should be, uh, think of himself as above any suspicion and no, no possibility of them having any sin or desire it was the previous ones. You should be careful. No one should say an arrow in the eye or I, you know, make fun of sinners. Uh, but this is the opposite. A person shouldn't go to the opposite extreme and not engage in relations even permitted relations with his wife and just separate totally and be an ascetic that's also not good because you see here how uh, by going to the opposite extreme the second there's some temptation he's so overcome and he can't um he can't control himself and he well he doesn't sin, but he thinks he did. Um and so that that's the opposite uh um, extreme is also not good. And so the rabbis wanted to be wanted people to um use their physical desires and passions um but direct it towards that which is permitted. Um, and, uh, use it, use it for good, um, and make kadosh, those things that are normally chol, but never be, uh, so haughty and self-righteous as to say, oh, I can handle this on my own, but rather be humble and, uh, pray Hashem should save me from sin and, uh, and hopefully through that middle path, a person can go through life using their desires for good. We now follow up on this, on the question brought in the previous story about Abihayah. Who thought he was sinning, even though he wasn't actually sinning. He actually had relations with his wife, but he thought that it was not his wife. So, in general, does one need to atone for sin, for um, doing something that is not actually a sin, even though one thinks it is a sin? So, here's a couple of sources about that. Dittanya. <speaking in Hebrew> In the context of a man uh, who has a right to annul the vows of his wife, it says that Isha, her husband, can annul them and God will forgive her. Well, what is it talking about? Why would God need to forgive her if he, uh, if, if he, the husband already annulled her vow? What, is, what did she violate? So the answer in the Midrash is, for example, a woman who makes a vow to be a Nazir. And the husband hears about that and he annuls it but she didn't know that he annulled it. So, but from her perspective, she thinks that she is a Nezira. And even though she thinks she's a nazirah, she is violating that proposed nazirut, and she is drinking wine, and she's becoming tame Lamet, which is not allowed if she were a nazir. Now, in fact, she's not actually doing anything wrong, um, uh, but uh, she thinks, uh, from her perspective, she um, uh, she thinks she's nizirah and just doesn't care about it. So it's this example where the pasuk says um, even though the husband annulled her nizirut vow, still it requires atonement because um, if someone thinks that they're doing something wrong and does it anyway, even though they're really not, that um, intention does require uh, kapara, and that would explain the bichia why he felt uh, so remorseful and that he needed to atone for his, for the sin that he thought that he did. More along the same lines. When he got to this very same Pasuk that we just mentioned, he would cry because he said, if someone who intends to eat non-kosher pig meat. And in the end, he you know, dips his uh, fork in, and sure enough, it's a kosher sheep meat that comes up. Um, and But he thinks that it's not kosher. And there, the Torah says, you require kapara. So all the more so, someone who intends to eat pig and actually does eat pig, all, right, all the more so. In other words, um, he would cry because look how strict one has to be. It's not only when one actually sins, but even if someone has intention to sin and they don't in the end even so requires atonement and similarly the other way around this is a pasuk regarding asham talui asham that one brings when one does something and is not sure if it was permitted or not so Rebbe HaKibah would cry also when he got to this Pasuk, because this would be a case, for example, when someone uh, uh, intended to eat permitted fat. Um, that's what he thought. He went to the fridge and got some. He got a package out thinking it was permitted. Sure enough, it was, in fact, Cheleb, not permitted. So there's a case where he didn't know at the time, or he's, he's still not sure, but it might have been. He took one of two packages, and um, he's not sure when, what, which one it was. Um, and so even though he didn't know and did not intend to, he intended to eat kosher, and maybe he ate non-kosher, and nevertheless, it requires atonement. How much more will atonement be needed for someone who intends and actually does eat chileb? Uh, and also on that pasuk, benyuda says regarding this, all sufferers shall grieve. In other words, if you want to have something to grieve about, um, think about this. That's not only intentional sin, and when 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 you, and what the person actually goes through with it, but even if someone sins unintentionally, or if one intends to sin but to sin, but it doesn't end up being a sin all of those permutations require atonement. Now, next thing in the Mishnah, that a, a, a mother and a child or a father and a child are permitted to sleep in the same bed without clothes on until the children are of a certain age, only when they're young. adam so regarding uh, they, these and other very close relations, uh, generally people do not have a physical desire to their close family members. So based on that, Abbas says, a person is allowed to be secluded with his sister um, and can live also with his mother and with his daughter. Right? This is a family. It's very hard to be in a family if um, you won't be able uh, to, to be in, in the house, let's say, with your own daughter when your wife goes out, or something like that, uh, for, or for, for a mother to be um, living with her son, um, even if, even when they're grown. Uh, so, therefore, these are close relatives. Uh, this is a family, and a family is allowed to be secluded together, and we don't worry that it will come to anything. However, Shemuel disagreed with Rav and more Machmir and said, no, no person is allowed to be secluded with any other, anyone who is uh, prohibited to, by adayot, even close family members and even an animal. And even though with an animal, uh, a vast majority of people have no desire and we're not worried that it will come to anything. Nevertheless, Shemuel says, across the board, ban do not be in seclusion with any person or thing that is prohibited. Tenan. Now we challenge Shemuel from our Mishnah that says one can be secluded with one's mother and daughter and can even sleep uh, uh, in the same bed as them, again, until a certain age, um, but uh, when, uh, one is allowed to be with them Clothed even as adults, and so this is uh, totally permitted according to the Mishnah. There's a challenge to Shemuel that said all relationships are prohibited um, for to have seclusion. choto. He says, "Yeah, you're right. That Mishnah is a challenge to me, but I have a Beraita on my side. What are you going to do with this Beraita that says someone sister and mother-in-law and other uh, uh, prohibited relations in the Torah, a person cannot be secluded with them unless there are witnesses there. If there are witnesses, then they're not secluded. Then that's not. They're not in private. They're not secluded." So, that we infer from that, if there are witnesses there, then it's permitted. But if there are no witnesses there, if they're really totally secluded and nobody around, then it would not be permitted. E- even with, one, even it says sister and mother in law and so on, and all of them. So, you see, this paraitah supports Mishamuel. What are you going to do with it? So, in the end, it's actually a machloket tanaim. These moraim are arguing along um, the lines of machloket between tanaim de tanya. Here's examples of a couple of Amora'im that were very stringent, like Shemuel. Um, Rabbi Meir says, tells his uh, colleagues, um, uh, be, may, be careful with me regarding my daughter. In other words, please make sure I'm not secluded with my daughter. Obviously, Rabbi Meir would never sin, although we had Rabbi Meir before in one of the stories. You see this beautiful girl, Yesahara uh, across. And so, you know, no one, no one is ever above suspicion. Um, and, and that was, uh, ended up being satan. So it be be Maybe he learned from that. He wants to be above suspicion, no matter what, even with his own daughter, not that anybody suspects he's going to have a sin, but he says, Yichud, just don't even put yourself in any, uh, possibly compromising situation. And Abhi says, um, make sure to be careful with me regarding my daughter-in-law. I don't want to be and, uh, and, and secluded with her. Lake There was a student that was making fun of of Rabbi Tarfon or Rabbi Meir, and says, Ah, what well, what is what, what kind of rabbis are this? Then they, they he's mocking them like, oh, oh you're you're attracted to your daughter, you're attracted to your daughter-in-law, All right? What's wrong with you? Um, so the student was making fun. And Rabbi Abu says it was not many days before that student who was mocking the rabbi um, ended up sinning with his own mother-in-law. And again, the same lesson. Never, never think of yourself as being beyond reproach, beyond possibility of sinning. Always better to be careful apilu im behemad. Mishnah said, or no, rather, Shemuel said, one should not be alone, secluded, even with an animal. abaye mechlele mikula dabra. And abaye, in fact, did this, and he removed all the animals from the field when he was there, and he was, if he was alone. Rav sheshat ma'abar le masra. Rav sheshat would put all the animals on the other side of the fence, make a mechitza, in order not to be secluded. Rav chanan minahad ha'eklade, Rav Uh, Rav Hanan, who was from Neharde'a, once went to visit Rav Kana in Pum Nahara. So he saw that the rabbi was sitting and studying, and there was an animal nearby, a goat or something, whatever it is. And so the visitor, Rav Hanan, said, doesn't the master think that one should not be alone even with an animal? And I see you're studying here, there's nobody else around. And you, there's an animal right next to you. Amale, lava And Rav Kana says, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was here. Yeah, you're right. Okay, send, send it out. Right? It was just wandering around. Even though in the Mishnah we said one, one is not a man is not allowed to be secluded with two women, but there are some exceptions. If you have two yevamot or two sarot, the second one's two co-wives. Um, but let's say that guy dies without children, then those two sarot would both be Yevamot, right? They both one of them has to do Ibum or halitza. Now these women generally hate each other. Um, also Ishava a woman and her mother in law, someone who's not related to them, can be secluded with um those two people. Um, because since they hate each other, if a man would come and sin with one, you can be sure that the other one would go and tell everybody about it, right? Because, uh, let's say, uh, uh, two uh, co-wives, co-wives hate each other. And so they'd be more than happy to say, my other co-wife, went and she committed adultery. She has to get divorced um, or committed some incest. Um, So, since uh, the man will know that the other person there is sure to report, so then he will be careful, not sin. And similarly, with a woman and her stepdaughter. Stepdaughter and stepmother also often have tension with each other. And, uh, And finally, with a woman and a small child, a child, a girl, who know, knows what biyah is? They, they understand sexuality, but are not still. have no. Don't have desire yet uh, for uh, for intercourse. So at that age, that person, if the man would sin with the adult woman uh, in in uh, in seclusion with that young uh, uh, that young girl, uh, she would be likely to go and tell people about it because uh, this would be a you know surprising curious and maybe shameful experience for her that she would then not be you wouldn't be able to explain it and you know get her to be quiet whereas to adults the man might be able to somehow um, get the other person to be quiet so in any of these cases where it's very likely that um, one of the women would tell on the other one if they if they um, had relations with the man so then there is no problem of Yichud. The Mishnah continued and taught that um, um, a mother and son or father and daughter, um, even though once they, uh, be, once they become of a certain age, they're not allowed to be in a bed together without clothes on. However, they are allowed to be together with clothes on. They can even sleep on the same mattress, under the same covers, as long as they are clothed, uh, so v'choleh. V'chamad, again, when how old is that? Uh, how old is, uh, would it that we be um, uh, required that they have to be clothed? Amar Rav Adabar A'aza, Amar Rav Ase Tinoket Batesha, Shanim Yom Echad Tinok, Ben Shetem Asre, V'yom Echad. So Rav says, for a girl, it'll be nine years and one day, and for, uh, and for a boy, uh, it's twelve years and one day. <speaking in Hebrew> and there's another, um, uh, version of the statement that says for a girl, it's twelve years and one day, and for a boy, thirteen years and one day. <speaking in Hebrew> Simeach. and really the two versions are not arguing, but rather it depends on the person. It's whenever they reach puberty and they are already physically developed. So once is some that physical development, then it's already inappropriate for a parent to be um, with that uh, and, and child uh, to be sleeping in the same bed, unclothed. Rav Amarav Bar says there's even a further limitation, um, that it's only permitted, even in other words, even before puberty, it's only permitted if the girl is so young that she's not embarrassed to stand before her father naked but if she's already embarrassed, right, and this could be well before she has physical signs, I mean, uh, you know, a two, three-year-old uh, girl is not, doesn't feel any embarrassment, but once she's a little older, she will feel embarrassment, and then already that makes it prohibited. Why? Because the embarrassment means that the, the inclination has already held, uh, taken hold upon her. In other words, the embarrassment of being naked comes together with the thought of even the possibility of being a sexual object, um, a, uh, uh, the possibility of being together with the person, which is therefore um, already, just even the thought of the possibility of a thought is uh, already makes it prohibited for them to be together without clothes on. Rav Acha abba ikla lebe Rav ha Rav Acha Baraba once went to uh, Ravchista, his son-in-law. He went to his son-in-law's house. Ravakha, the father-in-law, takes his granddaughter and places her upon his lap. She's probably about 11 years old. And so Ravchista, the father of this girl, tells his father-in-law, um, Why are you taking this her on your lap? Um, why don't you consider, how come you're not considering the possibility that maybe she is Mikudeshit? maybe I married her off to another guy, uh, the idea being that if she's a single girl on 11, okay, then it would be appropriate... Uh, could be appropriate to have her on your lap, but if she's already engaged to, to be with a the man, then you have to treat her differently. And so, how come you're not considering that possibility? And so, Ravacha, the grandfather of the girl, um, says, says to his son-in-law, no, I don't think it's possible that you married her off because would you violate the statement that Rav said? After all, Rav does said, the name of Rav and some say it's to be a Lazar, um, that one is prohibited from marrying off his daughter while she is still a minor. Uh, rather, she should grow up and say, I want to marry this guy. When, you, she's, a, when she's a minor, she doesn't have the, um, the, the possibility of choosing for herself uh, um, whether she likes this guy or not, she's too young to discern, and the father, um, her father can marry off against her will. So even though, legally, a father can do that, Rav said it's prohibited because it's not right. So I'm sure you didn't violate the statement of Rav, and therefore, no, I, don't, I'm, I, I assume that the, she is still single. Ma'ar adi Shmuel, Shmuel en be'isha. Rav Chistah then replied to that against his father-in-law, Uh, there seems to be some tension here between the father-in-law and the son-in-law and he he says uh, master you my father-in-law you seem to violate what Shemuel says because Shemuel says one should not make use of a woman generally like to do something in an intimate way you shouldn't ask uh, a woman to uh, pour water for you or wash your feet things these are things that are uh, uh, intimate, that a, a wife would do, but that you shouldn't ask someone who's not married to you to do. And so putting um, this girl on your lap is a, a somewhat intimate gesture and inappropriate. Uh, so you violate Shemuel. And the father-in-law says, I'm following the other thing that Shemuel says. Yes, you're right. Shemuel did say one should not. Uh, make use of a woman and, and act in an in a, in a intimate way with, with someone. However, Shemuel also says that every everything, anything that's L'Shem Shamaim is permitted. In other words, if you don't have intention that this should be an intimate act and you're doing it just L'Shem Shamaim to show affection for your granddaughter, that's a normal thing to do. That's L'Shem Shamaim. I had nothing, uh, uh, no ill intention in mind and therefore it's permitted. So you see... The- So we see through this discussion that the rabbis have a very fine-tuned sense of precisely where to draw the line between what is normal family interactions and what can uh, uh, lead towards uh, inappropriate and illegal activity and this is a very fine line that requires a lot of judgment and uh, too much uh, extreme one way or too much too much extreme the other way is not good but having the proper guidelines and uh, adding safeguards to make sure that even things that seem like oh that would never happen having safeguards to make sure that one is always above reproach and any possibility of sin um, are always uh, helpful to keep us on the straight and narrow. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen veAmen.